Hello, Alahe. Hey, Martine. Do you know what I'm going to ask you today? I have a gut feeling. So I'm going to ask you, have you voted for Post Reports in the Webby Awards? Martine, I take the sanctity of my vote very seriously. I don't know how comfortable <laughs> I feel in revealing this information, but uh, but yes, I did. I did vote for Post Reports. Are you just saying that because you know that you're being recorded and this is going to go on the podcast, or did you did you actually no, vote? I actually voted, and I'll tell you why I voted because. I think the work Post Reports does is important, and a vote in the Webbies will not only acknowledge the work that all of you have done on the podcast before, but will hopefully allow new people to discover the podcast and become listeners. You can find the link to vote for us in the Webby Awards at postreports.com and in today's show notes. Uh, so thank you, Alahe, for voting. Thank you to all our listeners for voting. Um, and Alahe, you are hosting Post Reports today, so I will hand over the reins to you for today's show. Thanks, Martine. We're an organic farm, and, you know, we were trying to do this thing, produce simple, clean, healthy food. And there was this fundamental betrayal 30 years ago. There's a farm called Songbird. It's an organic farm. It's about uh, 44 acres of land in all, but five acres are tillable. It's owned by a young couple uh, in their 30s, uh, Adam Nordell and Johanna Davis. And it's located in the town of Unity, Maine, which is a, a rural community about 90 miles uh, northeast of Portland uh, and about 30 minutes drive from the coast. This is uh, a farming community. This is good land. And it's the reason why Adam Nordell and Johanna Davis purchased the land in the first place. Keith O'Brien is a freelance journalist and author, and he's been talking with these young organic farmers, Adam and Johanna. They began farming uh, over a decade ago uh, on leased land uh, much further from the coast. And they did pretty well for organic farmers. Uh, well enough that in 2014, uh, they decided they wanted to buy their own plot of land. And they found this land, and they were thrilled to have found it. Everything was going pretty great. They were expanding. They had leased more land. They were even thinking about starting a bakery where they could use the grain they were growing to make bread. And then Johanna and Adam made a discovery. Here's Johanna speaking before lawmakers in Maine. We just learned that our farm was spread with sludge, twice from the Portland Water District and twice by the Kennebec Sanitary Treatment District in the early 1990s. Alongside this information, we have learned that the water that we drink and use to irrigate our crops is over 400 times the state of Maine's safety threshold. This sludge that was spread on their land was commonly used as cheap fertilizer in the 90s, but it was full of PFOS, also called forever chemicals. They're called forever chemicals because they're not soluble. They don't go away. They do not dilute by and large. And so, you know, if you bury these chemicals in the ground or, or put them in the water, uh, they'll remain there for for years.
From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi, in for Martine Powers. It's Thursday, April 14th. Today, the forever chemicals that upended a young couple's dream and the bigger crisis looming. Hey, Adam, how are you? Doing right, how are you? Good, good. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you, yeah. Okay, fantastic. So last fall in Maine, health officials and environmental officials made a fairly stunning announcement. They advised that anyone who uh, was hunting deer and and harvesting deer and and in or around the the town of Fairfield, Maine, should not consume the meat. And the reason for that advisory was that they'd found high levels of PFAS, or per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, PFAS, in the meat of the deer. PFAS are often referred to as forever chemicals. They are not just one kind of chemical, but really a family of chemicals found in all kinds of everyday products. Uh, you know, everything from pizza boxes to fast food uh, burger wrappers uh, to uh, stain-proof carpets or waterproof jackets. Sadly, in, in the last couple of years, these forever chemicals have been turning up in all sorts of places where they typically should not. In Maine, officials warned people to stay away from the deer meat because these forever chemicals were found in the deer. Um, what did that have to do with with the farm? Nothing, at least initially. Uh, and, and in fact, Adam Nordell and Johanna Davis at Songbird Farm paid the advisory little mind. They, they don't hunt for deer. It didn't involve them. But uh, a customer mentioned that they had uh, noticed on a state website that uh, their land was also possibly uh, problematic. What state officials began to piece together last fall was that the deer were being contaminated with PFAS because they were grazing on fields that in the 1990s had been fertilized with something called sludge. It's essentially treated sewage that once treated can be used and is often used to fertilize fields where they grow crops, where they grow hay. Uh, and the deer were grazing on these fields. And so a customer comes to Adam and Johanna and mentions that their land also seems to be a place where this sludge was spread. And obviously that's alarming uh, to Adam and Johanna. And uh, they look on a state website. They find the same maps that the customer did. And then at that point, Adam and Joanna did something that no one asked them to do. No state official, no watchdog of any kind. Adam and Johanna decided to have their soil and their spinach and their water and ultimately themselves tested for PFAS. And they waited for those tests to come back. And just after Christmas in late 2021, those tests did. And uh, the results were shocking. How bad was it? 
There are no standards for what is appropriate levels of PFAS in drinking water. In Maine, there's only a guideline. And the drinking water at Adam and Johanna's farm was found to be 400 times greater than the guideline of what is acceptable for PFAS. It was also in the soil. It was also in the spinach. And at that point, Johanna and Adam decided they needed to have themselves tested. And what came back there was almost the kind of result that would make one panic. Maine CDC has run blood serum models for me and my husband that show estimated PFAS levels somewhere around 250 times the level of the average American. And at that point, they knew that they had a serious problem there at Songbird Farm. What does that mean for the health of their family? Like, what can happen with that amount of PFAS in a person's body? PFAS, the entire family of chemicals, are linked to many kinds of cancer and also other health problems, neurological problems, thyroid problems. And once Adam and Johanna started learning that, the dots they connected trace back to the farmer they purchased this farm from. This was Tim Christensen, uh, by all accounts, uh, a beloved professor and farmer here uh, on this land. And uh, the reason why he had sold it to Adam and Johanna in 2014 was that he had been diagnosed with cancer. So after a, a decade of living on this farm, Tim Christensen, 64 years old, is diagnosed with cancer. According to interviews I did with his sons, it's unclear exactly where the cancer began, but soon it was, it was sadly everywhere. It was in his bones, uh, in, his, in his pancreas. And he sells this property, Songbird Farm, what, what the land that Adam and Joanna will christen Songbird Farm. Tim Christensen sells this property in September 2014, and, and is dead by January 2015. And it was impossible, of course, for Adam and Johanna not to wonder, was it the land that had somehow led to his cancer? Was it the water? Was it the PFAS? After the break, what happened next for Adam and Johanna? And how big of a problem this is in the United States? We'll be right back. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
So basically, we have here a story of of these young farmers who buy this land that had been an organic farm. They want to continue organic farming. They don't really know anything about the chemicals in the land or the water. And the only reason they found out is because a customer happened to alert them to it. No government entity told them. And then after they found out, they took it upon themselves to to investigate further. And you've written that this story can't be dismissed as a one-off calamity. How ubiquitous is this? How much contamination is there in the United States? According to estimates, there are as many now as 2,800 different sites around the country that have some level of PFAS contamination, whether that's well contamination, uh, drinking water contamination, uh, river contamination, 2,800 sites. And that's really just an estimate. Uh, because while last fall uh, the state of Maine hadn't notified farmers like Adam and Johanna, they are now. And what the state of Maine has learned just in, in recent months is that there are as many as 700 different sites just in the state of Maine where uh, this kind of sludge was spread as fertilizer in the 1990s. 700 sites in just this one state. So the truth is, is that no one really knows how, how far the PFAS contamination goes, uh, where it stops or where it starts. Why have state and federal officials been so slow to enact meaningful limits on the use of forever chemicals. I mean, there's nothing more than perhaps guidelines that we don't even really know how much is safe and not. So PFAS have been in use in some way, shape or form for decades, almost 100 years. Folks in the chemical industry will tell you and the manufacturing industry will tell you they're incredibly helpful. Uh, you know, These are the, the compounds that make that pan you like to cook your egg in non-sticking. Uh, these are the chemicals, by and large, that make that jacket you like to wear in the rain uh, waterproof. And so uh, they've been in use for a long time. It's clear that for at least the last 20 years, the EPA has had some knowledge that there is a risk or a danger with these chemicals. But as I said, there, this is a massive family of chemicals. And in the history of regulating chemicals in this country, every moment that a regulator or a governmental entity comes in and bans a certain use uh, of a chemical, uh, another one gets created or manufactured that does similar work. And so regulators are constantly chasing uh, a massive industry that, again, is, is supplying people, consumers, with the products they're buying. And so, uh, you know, why it's taken so long is simply the sheer uh, scope of these chemicals, the sheer amount of them, and, you know, a lagging knowledge until very recently that these are pervasive in ways that even that term forever chemical maybe didn't capture. You know, this farm in Maine, Songbird Farm, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful plot of land. This time of year right now, it's budding up and starting to bud up. In summer, it's incredibly green. And 
what's hard for folks like Adam Nordell and Johanna Davis to imagine is despite all the care that they have put into the land and despite the decade of care that Tim Christensen, the, the previous owner and organic farmer, put into the land. It was a decision in 1992 and 93 to spread sludge on these fields that they are wrestling with today. You know, I, I, I also tracked down that farmer too, the, the farmer in 1992 who made that decision to spread the sludge. And, and it was fascinating to, to hear what she had to say. Did she know that this was dangerous? Was she told it was safe? Her name was Amy Barden. Uh, she, she lived on this land uh, since 1979 with her husband, Russell Barden, and, and they raised four children here. They were not organic farmers. They were dairy farmers. And in 1992, uh, they were offered what seemed to be a, a great deal. They were offered free fertilizer, free sludge from the Kennebec Wastewater uh, District, uh, which is the town of Waterville in Maine. And, and they happily accepted that, that, that sludge, Amy Barden told me, because it, it, it was going to save them a lot of money. And they were assured, she said at the time, that this, this sludge was safe. You know, as I said, they had, they had four kids. Those children at the time were all under the age of, of 10. Um, they were just as concerned about the land as anybody else. And in fact, Amy Barden told me they asked to have that, that sludge tested for heavy metals. At the time, no one knew to test for PFAS. Uh, no one was testing for PFAS. Amy is now 66 years old. She's retired. Um, but she heard, too, uh, even prior to my phone call, about what was happening up at the farm in Maine, her old plot of land, and she was horrified. Now that we're sitting in a place where there's a more understanding about the impact, potential impact these chemicals have, um, what regulations are being proposed? What legislation should we be keeping an eye on? And on a federal level, has President Biden made this issue a priority? So in Maine, they are taking proactive action right now. There's a raft of legislation pending in Maine at this very moment that would ban the use of this sludge or biosolids uh, as fertilizer in the state, uh, ban the use of anything to be spread on fields that tests positive for PFAS. Uh, there's other legislation pending in Maine uh, that would uh, create a robust buyout packages, essentially, for farmers like Adam Nordell and Johanna Davis. They're still wrestling over the money, but it could be, in the end, anywhere from $60 million to $100 million to buy out people from their farms, uh, to pay for testing, to pay for crop losses. And then on the federal level, yes, um, the EPA is well aware of the issue, as is the White House. And uh, last fall, the EPA announced that it was pursuing aggressive measures to limit the spread of PFAS, limit the use of PFAS, and to create a, a federal water standard, which again, 
90 years after these chemicals began to be used, 20 years after it was known they posed some kind of risk, uh, we still do not have. And so, uh, you know, that is uh, a proposal that the EPA and the Biden administration have, have put out there. And it's certainly a welcome one for critics who have been calling for such standards for years. But some worry that it could still be a couple more years before such a standard ever uh, took hold just because of the the bureaucracy involved and because of the resistance that uh, these standards are expected to face from certain corporate lobbyists. What has the chemical manufacturing industry said about the safety and necessity of these chemicals in everyday products? The industry is incredibly hesitant to make public comments these days about PFAS because in many states, including Maine, there is now pending litigation against multiple companies for the use of these chemicals. That said, you know, the the industry says that the PFAS chemicals that are used in the everyday products that we all have in our homes are permissible under law. And uh, they argue that there are different kinds of PFAS. To put it simply, there are PFAS that are more dangerous than others. And, and they argue that in the months or years ahead, as we possibly move into a time of regulating PFAS and its usage, uh, they argue that the government should do so with some uh, judicious approach, uh, that essentially not all PFAS are created equal. But it's clear both from the uh, EPA side, uh, from the environmentalist side, and from the corporate side that everybody is is gearing up here for for potentially a, a long uh, battle over when and how and if we can use these chemicals. Keith, I'm wondering where this leaves Adam and Johanna. What have they done to fight this? You know, like once they realized how contaminated their farm was and and is Songbird Farm still operational? Adam told me once that he feels like they're almost living in a dream, uh, a nightmare. Before... We got that that email about the DEP map. You know, our life was completely different. Our business was growing. <clears throat> we just like we're we're so deeply in love with where we lived and what our future looked like. We were making plans. We were gonna we were gonna start a bakery as a value added business with our grains. Um, like we were just, we were making all kinds of money selling spinach. It was like our farm was really hitting its stride, and um, and. You know, it, it, the, the contrast between that and where we are is so great that it feels like, can, can we go back there? Can we wake up from this? They have suspended operations for now uh, on the farm. Uh, they don't expect to be creating or growing a, a crop this year. Um, 
they're not sure how they can even stay on the land, uh, given that it's not just the two of them anymore. They have an almost four-year-old boy now. And uh, um, so as parents, they're looking around and wondering if the best decision is just to leave. But like many farmers in Maine, uh, they'll be unable to do so without those robust uh, buyout packages, uh, you know, which really just in many ways kicks it down the road because people and the farmers may have moved away from these farms in the months or the year ahead, uh, but the land itself uh, will still be tainted with these chemicals. Keith O'Brien is a journalist who reported this story for The Washington Post. He's also the author of a new book, Paradise Falls, the true story of an environmental catastrophe. We'll put a link in our show notes to the book and Keith's story. Julie Deppenbrock produced this episode. And that's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was edited and mixed by Maggie Penman. And a reminder, if you haven't voted for Post Reports yet in the Webby Awards, do it now. Like, open up your browser and do it now before you forget. I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine Powers will be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.